Good afternoon. It is truly uh, a joy to be here. It, it is very encouraging uh, to see more brethren face to face for the first time in, in months, even if I only get to see half of your face. Uh, it, it is a wonderful blessing to be here together. Um, as I said earlier in our announcements, um, as we think about the precautions that we're taking, we, we can either think of them as challenges and inconveniences and, and uh, limitations, or, or we can think about them as unique ways that we have an opportunity to show love towards one another. Uh, and I hope that's how we can use this, uh, to show that uh, if, if it's important to me for no other reason, it's important to me because it's important to some, someone else, because it's important to my brethren. Um, and so if, if you think that some brethren aren't taking this as seriously as they need to, give them grace, respect their convictions, do what you can to support and encourage them. And if you think that all of these precautions are unnecessary and over the top, focus on serving others. Um, let's use this in that way. And I'm very thankful for the family that we have here. Uh, I'm very encouraged by the way we have been able to work through these things together. And communication is an extremely important part of that. Uh, and I pray that, that as God has helped us, he will continue to help us uh, in working through this difficult situation together. We started talking last week, and give me just a moment because I forgot to uh, start sharing the PowerPoint here. Okay, here we go. Um, last week, we started talking about rules for communication from the book of Proverbs. And we, we saw many different principles. Um, we, we talked uh, about the importance of communication itself. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Communication is hard. Communication is difficult, especially in times of disagreement or conflict or misunderstanding, but it is vitally important. And it has, as it has the power to do much damage, it also has the power to do much good. We need to give it its proper due in our lives. We talked about listening first. Proverbs 18, verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Good communication doesn't start with the mouth, it starts with the ears. We talked about welcoming correction. Proverbs 12 and verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Uh, one of the hardest things to listen to uh, is when we're wrong. And yet the hardest things to listen to are often the most important to listen to. Taking to heart someone's correction, not reluctantly, but thankfully and eagerly. We talked about taking time to think. Proverbs 15 and verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We need to take time to ponder what we say. We need to take time to let our emotions subside and speak from wisdom and love rather than from impulse. And we talked about knowing when to be quiet. Proverbs 29 and verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Uh, we need to speak to the right person in the right way at the right time, and when that's not the case, we'd best not say anything at all. But now we're almost ready to open our mouths. We, we, we've talked about uh, half of our 10 rules for communication, and we still haven't really gotten to opening our mouths yet, and we're still not quite there. 
But what do we say? Uh, especially when the situation is tense with emotion, when maybe I've offended my brother and, and they're hurt uh, because of something I said or did, when, when there's a misunderstanding, when there's a difficult decision that needs to be made, when we need to approach somebody about their sin or talk to them about the condition of their soul. Well, what now do I say? And I, there's one more important step before we open our mouths, uh, and perhaps one of the most important steps that we want to talk about next, and that is praying for wisdom and what we say. More important than taking time to think is taking time to pray. We don't just need more of our own human wisdom, more of thinking about what we want to say and how we want to express it. We need ultimately the wisdom of God to communicate effectively. We need him to guide our mouths. Proverbs 16 and verse 1. Proverbs 16 and verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. It's good for us to plan and reason and think things through, but at the end of the day, an effective answer is only going to come with God's help and with his blessing. I like what uh, one commentator, uh, Kitchen, said on this. He said, while man may plan what he thinks is best, only God, who knows all, can put the perfect, effective answer in man's mouth. Plan, think, reason it through, but do so in complete dependence upon the Lord. Prayer is one of the most foundational ways that we put this principle into practice. It's an outward expression of a complete dependence upon God's guidance and uh, direction. We recognize that if anything we say is going to be effective or of any value, it needs to be God working through our tongues. That the answer ultimately doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to the Lord. It's interesting in the, the epistle of James, we, we sometimes think of James as an epistle that talks more than any other book in the Bible about the tongue, especially there in James chapter 3 and even really throughout the book. But you know what else the book of James talks quite a bit about? prayer. <laughs> it's interesting that, that one of the epistles that talks the most about prayer is the one that talks the most about the tongue, and I think the two go together. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given him. If we genuinely pray to God to give us wisdom and guide our mouths in a difficult situation, we can be sure that he will answer that prayer. He wants to help us to do and say the right things. And so we need to, in faith, take that to him, that he might direct us. And this doesn't free us from the responsibility to think through what we're going to say and make sure that we're saying the right thing in the right way. But when it comes to actually opening our mouths, we need to have taken the, the bridle of our tongues and really taken it out of our hands and giving it over to the Lord. He needs to be the one directing our answer in all things. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Now we sometimes look at that passage and apply it to what we teach, our doctrine, that anything we teach needs to come from the oracles of God. And, and certainly I think that's a legitimate way to see that passage. But I think the application is really even more broad than just our doctrine or our teaching. Really, any word that comes out of my mouth needs to come from uh, an attitude 
and a, a character that reflects that of God. Needs to come from the wisdom that I've received from God, from his direction. Needs to reflect the thoughts of God. Anything that I say in any conversation needs to be said in such a way that really is pointing back to the Lord uh, in a way that brings glory to him. Maybe we need to make praying before we speak as much of a custom in our lives as praying before we eat. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's how regularly we need to make that part of our lives. And so before we open our mouths, let's make sure first and foremost that God is the one directing our tongues in what we say. But now we're opening our mouths. What do we say? First of all, we need to speak with grace. I want to just for a moment look at a New Testament passage, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. What does it mean to have our speech seasoned with grace? Uh, Well, grace we sometimes define as unmerited favor or an undeserved gift. So what does that mean in my speech? Well, that means when I speak to somebody, I'm not simply going to tell them what I think they deserve to hear. I'm going to tell them what I think they need to hear, what would be beneficial to them. I may think sometimes in a a conflict, well, this is really what they deserve to hear. Well, no, I, I need to make sure I'm speaking with grace. And part of that idea is this idea of a a gift. God's grace to us is a gift that we do not deserve. Well, how do you pick out a good gift for someone? I think we've talked about this idea before. But but husbands, if if you were going to pick out a gift for your wife uh, for her anniversary, how how would you do that? Would would you go over to Home Depot and and look at the, the, the tool set that you've been wanting all year and think, oh, I bet my wife would love this? Well, no, of course not. Would you go over to Walmart and just kind of, you know, the first thing that you see on the shelf, go and pluck it off? Well, no, a good gift is one that, first of all, isn't focused on you. It's not focused on what you would like, what you want, but what the one you're giving it to would like. And it has some thought, some forethought, some planning, and what, what would they best value and appreciate? What would have the most meaning to them? And that may be different for different people. Well, that's the concept of speaking with grace, is that my words need to be a a well-thought-out gift to the one that I'm speaking to. That I'm not saying this just because this is what I feel like saying and what makes me feel good, but that this is genuinely what is going to benefit them, what's going to serve their needs. Notice how Proverbs describes the words of the righteous and the words of the wise. Proverbs 10 In verse 11, Proverbs 10 and verse 11, we read, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Later on in the same chapter, chapter 10 and verse 21, we read, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 12 and verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15 and verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness 
and it breaks the spirit. The verse that Luke read for us a moment ago, Proverbs 16, verse 23 and 24, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Do you see that description as you kind of put all of those ideas together? Um, are, are my words a fountain of life or a tree of life to those that I'm speaking to? We talked about how the tongue has the power of life and of death. A am I accomplishing its purpose in speaking life? Is that how I'm using it? Do my words bring sweetness to the soul and healing to the body? Or am I like the one who rashly speaks as sword thrust, wounding, tearing down, and discouraging others? Do my words nourish others? It said there in chapter 10, verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Are my words like the honeycomb to the taste of others? Or are they bitter and unappetizing? Often the problem is that we're not actively asking these questions of ourselves. Often when we speak, we're speaking based on what's going on in our own heads and our own minds and our own feelings. And we're not taking the time, we talked about taking the time earlier, we're not taking the time to think primarily about what's going to benefit somebody else. What's going to be a, a tree of life to them, a fountain of life? What, what's going to encourage and build them up and help them be more who God wants them to be? And so, because I'm only thinking about myself, I often say things that discourage, that tear down, that divide. Am I speaking grace? But closely related with that, uh, really kind of uh, an, another side of the coin here is speaking truth. In John chapter 1, when it talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, in John 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' glory is described as grace and truth. And if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we, we need to be reflecting grace and truth. Our words need to be full of grace and truth. Sometimes the temptation is to focus on saying things that make others feel good and make them like us more. And so we, we kind of pour on the grace, but then we, we lack the substance. It's like, you know, we're, we're seasoning our speech with, with grace, and yet we end up just giving somebody a, a plate of seasoning and, and, and no food to it. Uh, well, no, we need both grace, certainly. We need to season with grace, but we also need truth. Proverbs emphasizes the importance of truth time and time again. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it talks about uh, six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven that are an abomination to him. And as you look through that list, it's interesting, one thing that is repeated twice in different ways is lying or deceit. Out of these seven things that are an abomination to the Lord, we have a lying tongue and a false witness that breathes out lies. You want to know why there's seven things and not six? Because <laughs> God hates lying, and he tells us twice. Later on in Proverbs 12 and verse 22, we read, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully as are his delight. God is serious about speaking the truth. 
Lying is not something that he just kind of doesn't prefer. Lying is an abomination to God. It, it is something that evokes uh, disgust and hatred in the heart of God. And so when we think about our speech, we need to take seriously speaking the truth. Because truth is what is going to genuinely benefit those who hear us the most. Remember, we're not just trying to, to make somebody feel good. We're not just trying to make somebody like us. We're trying to genuinely help somebody, genuinely build them up, help their soul, help them be more who God wants to be. And there is nothing that is needed more in our lives than God's truth. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, starting verse 5, we read, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes what is genuinely needed is going to hurt in the moment, but it's going to bring healing and growth in the end. A doctor who genuinely cares for his patients is not going to re refuse to perform surgery on patients. A doctor who genuinely cares for his patients might need to take a scalp scalpel and, and put it into somebody's chest cavity because that is genuinely what's going to help them in the long run. Love is not going to refuse to tell somebody that they have cancer because it's, it's going to make them feel bad. Well, no, love certainly is going to take seriously how those things are expressed, but it's going to try to genuinely help somebody, which means speaking the truth. When we are seeking to give grace to those who hear us, when we're seeking to, to speak life, to nourish them with our words, we need to remember that nothing of value is ever said without speaking truth. And so as much as we need to be seasoning our speech with grace and making sure that we're saying things in such a way that it is more palatable to those who hear us, we need to make sure that nothing we say is compromising the truth. That we're always saying things as they truly are. Season it with grace, but don't forget the substance. But what else? What after we, after we have striven to speak grace, after we've striven to, to speak truth, what else does Proverbs instruct us about our words? Uh, I think we also need to recognize that we need to give others time to process, especially when we're talking about some conflict, some misunderstanding, uh, some area in which maybe my brother has sinned against me and I'm needing to address that sin with him. Talk to him about the condition of his soul. In Proverbs 28 and verse 23, Proverbs 28 and verse 23, we read, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Do you notice the word afterward there? He doesn't say in the moment he's going to find more favor. He says there will come a time where he'll find more favor. The, the way that communication often works is that initially it's going to be very hard for them to receive that instruction or that rebuke. And we need to be understanding of that process. You know, the, the surgeon that cut, cut into the, the chest cavity, uh, he, he doesn't just sew up the patient and then slap him on the back and, and send him on his way, right? He, he recognized that as much as that is what was needed, 
And as much as that is, is what is necessary for, for that patient to, to heal and to live and to prosper, that it, it did some damage. It's going to take some time for that, to, that process to occur and that healing to take place. Receiving correction and rebuke is not easy. It's not natural. And sometimes we just need to give someone a little time and space to let it sink in, to let it do its work. It's easy for us sometimes to think uh, that someone, if they don't respond immediately to what we've said, well, then they've rejected it. And I, I just need to keep telling them again and again until they do respond. Well, no, what, what we see from Proverbs is that sometimes we need to just let them, uh, with those words, let them do their work and take that time. Proverbs 25 and verse 15. Proverbs 25 verse 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. We, we think, well, if, if I'm going to convince this person, then I need to jump on it. And I need to, to kind of bat away at it, and then eventually I'll, I'll convince them. Well, no, Proverbs tells us a soft tongue and patience is what is going to persuade somebody, what's going to make the difference. We need to recognize that as we work with people, especially as we're having difficult conversations, working through difficult things. We need, just as we, we took time to think and pray beforehand, we need to give them time to think and pray as well. And give them that, that grace, that patience. My, my graciousness to them doesn't end at the, at the period of my sentence. My graciousness to them continues as they continue to, to uh, work through their, their reaction to the words that I've said. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul urges us, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. Some need admonishing. Some need encouragement. Some need help. But you know what? We all need patience. <laughs> uh, there's not a, a single one that doesn't need patience. And that's what we see in that language there. And the more that I recognize that I need the patience and the forbearance of others, as I grow and I struggle to work through some things, uh, the more that I will be willing to give that kind of patience and that forbearance to others as I communicate with them and as we work through conflict and difficult decisions together. But fifthly, or tenthly, we need to be eager to forgive. We shouldn't see reconciliation of conflict as simply a responsibility that we have. We should see it as a great blessing, a joyful privilege to be able to resolve uh, these difficult situations. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. We're told, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Again, in Proverbs 19 and verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Do you see that in, in both of those verses? Whoever covers an offense seeks love. There in, in 1911, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Is that how we deal with offenses? Are we eager to cover them over? Are we eager, eager to overlook them, eager to put them in the past? Or have we trained ourselves to hold on to our hurts? It's very easy 
to, to feed and cultivate our offenses, right? When somebody has said something or done something that has hurt us, it's very easy to, every time we see their face, immediately think about what they did to us. Every time we hear their name mentioned, we, we think about what they said, how they hurt us. And then we not only think about those things, but every time their name comes up, we talk about those things and we share those things with others. And then even if reconciliation is sought out, even if there does come a time where they repent and seek us back, we, we've cultivated this attitude, we've created this monster inside us that is extremely hard to kill. It's very hard having fed that time after time after time in our thoughts and our words about those people to get to a point where we no longer see them that way. We need to make sure, as Proverbs instructs us, that we are eager to cover over offense, not to repeat it, not to perpetuate it in our minds, our thinking, or our words, but we are eager to put it in the past, even leading up to the point that reconciliation is able to happen. Our ultimate standard of forgiveness is Jesus himself. And you remember in Luke 23, as Jesus is hanging upon the cross, as these people have nailed his hands and his feet, as they're mocking him and spitting on him, they beat him and scourged him. And what does he say? Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Well, well, well I, I don't have to forgive somebody before they repent, right? I, I can hold this grudge as long as I want, as long as they don't come to me. And I hope they don't come to me. <laughs> Is that my attitude? That's not Jesus' attitude. No, Jesus is eager to forgive them even as they are standing there looking at his dying body. He wants them to be forgiven. He wants their forgiveness so much that he's willing to die to make it happen. You know, I, I think sometimes if, if we were Jesus hanging there, we would be running through our minds all the people who had wronged us, all the people who had betrayed us and forsaken us, and what they had done against us. That's not what Jesus is thinking about. Jesus is looking at these people in the hardness of their faces and seeking out their forgiveness. Brethren, that needs to be our attitude. We need to pursue reconciliation with our brethren, the way that Jesus has pursued reconciliation with us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's our standard. That's what we're striving for. And so, while we need to speak the truth, we need to speak it with grace. We need to give time for people to, to process but in all of this, we need to diligently seek out reconciliation. Any conflict, any misunderstanding, any time that I have wronged somebody else, I need to eagerly be communicating through that conflict, working through it. That's what God instructs me to do. So what about you? And what about me? As we look into the mirror of God's word, if there's anyone who feels that... Uh, there's not a change that they need to make today, um, then you probably haven't been listening. 
Because I think this is something that each and every one of us need to grow in, need to work on. The, the standard that God has set for us is something that we're going to be striving for and working towards all our lives. But he wants to help us in that. He wants us to come to him in prayer. And he's not going to look at that request begrudgingly. No, he gives liberally and without reproach. Let's seek out God's help in making application of these things to our lives. If you need to ask for the prayers of the brethren today uh, to make application of some of these things in a, in a public way, we, we want to invite you to do that. If you recognize any change that you need to make, don't, don't wait. Act upon God's word now. Uh, make the change that you need to so that by his grace and with his strength, you can be who he wants you to be. And if you have not committed your life to the Lord, if, if your tongue, your life, your words, your actions aren't being guided by him, you can make the decision today to surrender your life fully to him. Do you need to bury your old life in the waters of baptism to be raised to walk in newness of life? That's why we're here. We're here to help one another live that new life. And so if there's anything that we can do to help you, please reach out, whether here at the building or, or online. Uh, seek out the help of your brethren. Um, go to God. Seek out his help above all else um, to be who he wants you to be. At this time, we're, we're going to sing a song together. If you'd like to open your books to number 613.